0: to John chapter 10 this morning, and I want to draw your attention to uh, verse 22, John 10 verse 22. And as I've been mentioning to you uh, over the last few weeks that one of the things that I have uh, made a uh, a habit of doing before we come into the prayer meeting is is reading an excerpt from um, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I do want to share one of those this morning with you. Um, because I think it not only goes along today with uh, what will be, uh, as we observe the Lord's Supper today, but um, also uh, as it goes along with our studies in the book of Acts and how the, uh, the apostles were threatened, how the apostles were told they could not preach uh, in the name of Christ. And um, some of these names you may be familiar with, you maybe have heard these names uh, over the years, uh, but this is the account of the martyrdom of William Hunter. It said William Hunter had been trained to the doctrines of the Reformation from his earliest youth, being descended from religious parents who carefully instructed him in the principles of true religion. Hunter, then 19 years of age, refusing to receive the communion at mass, was threatened to be brought before the bishop to whom this valiant young martyr was conducted by a constable. Bonner caused William to be brought into a chamber where he began to reason with him, promising him security and pardon if he would recant. He, nay, he would have been content if he would, let me start that again. Nay, he would have been content if he would have gone only to receive and to confession, but William would not do so for all the world. Upon this, the bishop commanded his men to put William in the stocks in his gatehouse where he sat two days and nights with a crust of brown bread and a cup of water only, which he did not touch. At the two days end, the bishop came to him and finding him steadfast in the faith, sent him to the convict prison and commanded the keeper to lay irons upon him as many as he could bear. He continued in prison three quarters of a year, during which time he had been before the bishop five times. Besides the time when he was condemned uh, in St. Paul's on February 9th, at which time his brother, Robert Hunter, was present. Then the bishop, calling William, asked him if he would recant. And finding he was unchangeable, pronounced sentence upon him that he should go from that place to Newgate for a time and thence to Brentwood there to be burned. About a month afterward, William was sent down to Brentwood where he was to be executed. On coming to the stake, he knelt down and read the 51st Psalm until he came to these words, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Steadfast in refusing the queen's pardon, if he would become an apostate at length, one Richard Pond, a bailiff, came and made his chain fast about him. William now cast his psalter into his brother's hand, who said, William, think on the holy passion of Christ and be not afraid of death. Behold, answered William, I am not afraid. Then he lifted up his hands to heaven and said, Lord, 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 receive my spirit. And casting down his head again into the smothering smoke, he yielded up his life for the truth, sealing it with his blood to the praise of God. It's the account of the martyrdom of William Hunter. And what I think it really drives home this morning is that when we truly know the true Savior and we truly know that the real Christ, the God, the living God, It certainly is a name and a God we will not recant. It is a name, a profession, a confession we will not refuse. And in John chapter number 10, you prayerfully know the account here that this is not new um, to this group that's gathered this morning, I'm certain. But in John 10, beginning in verse 22, the Jews have attempted to bring Jesus into custody. And of course, they're bringing him into custody because earlier in John chapter 10, Jesus has announced uh, the uh, offensive words of being the good shepherd, being the bread of life, being the door of the sheep, being those that he is uh, talking about, even being able to lay down his own life, that they don't lay his life down. They can't take it from him. He lays it down uh, by his own will. And you'll notice that in verse 22 of John 10, it tells us a little bit about this. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one." Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from the Father, for which, the, which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. We've been looking at this reality of the deity of Christ, and that's why it brought us to this passage this morning, especially in correlation with the reading from uh, the Book of Martyrs today and William Hunter, the deity of Christ, the deity of Christ. Of God, the Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, again, we've been talking over the last month or so about the importance of knowing who Jesus Christ is. In a day and an age in which the very foundations of our faith are attempting to be shattered, they're attempting to be taken away uh, block by block, we have a, a, a prevalence of false cults, we have a prevalence of false teachers and preachers, and they're attempting to tear away at the foundational truth that Jesus Christ is God. Now, I will tell you, just as we've read from John 10 this morning, this is not a new strategy. Uh, it has always been man's sinful man's intent. If we can destroy the doctrine of Christ, then we can destroy the very foundation of Christianity. If we can destroy the deity of Christ, then we can destroy the foundation of Christianity. But it is this foundational truth of Christ as God which we base our assurance of salvation upon. We base the forgiveness of sin, our deliverance from the wrath of God, our preservation until the end, uh, our entrance into glory uh, by this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons And in one God. And so our entire foundation rests upon the doctrines of Christ. We know Psalm 11.3 tells us, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And of course, the answer is we pray. We continue to pray to our living God. We pray because we not only trust in him, but we pray because we hope in him. We hope in the mercy, we hope in in the joy uh, of his grace and his love toward us. Even in the day and age in which we live, when there's this attack on the foundation, we can still preach, we can still sing, we can still praise, we can still do all of those things. Why? Because God changes not, no matter what man tries to do. No doubt we're living in a world when they are trying to change who God is. They are trying to take away his deity. They're trying to take away his equality with God because he is God. So we know that no matter what man does, Uh, Man cannot destroy this foundation. Now, this will be a recurring theme today, especially as we get back into our studies in the book of Acts this morning, because we know that there's always been an attack and there's always been an attack. And we've learned over the last month as we've been studying this great truth that this foundation of Jesus Christ, we cannot waver on, we cannot compromise, we cannot recant. If men like William Hunter a mere 19 years old thought the, the Lord Jesus Christ was worth giving up his very life for, it ought to challenge our, thought, our thinking process this morning. It ought to challenge us and it ought to seize us at the very core to think about what would make a 19-year-old young man be willing to say, I will not for a moment recant this name. I will not for a moment rage against this man. I will not rage against Christ. Well, because he knew divine truth. He knew what truth is. And no matter what the attack has been, Fox's Book of Martyrs is filled with attacks on those men who stood for truth. We are also under attack as well. Now, why do they attack? Why is it so important? Because to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ of God, to acknowledge Jesus as being God manifested in the flesh means that those individuals have to acknowledge on the same token that they're sinners. They have to acknowledge that we are indeed hopeless. We are indeed fallen short of the glory of God and that they can find their only hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. They, are not gonna, they don't respond to this. They don't acknowledge this. Why? What keeps a man from acknowledging Christ as God? Self-righteousness. They are relying upon their own righteousness, hoping to reach some level of a, a greater uh, afterlife, if you will. But it's very similar to how the Jews responded in Luke 19 when they simply said, we will not have this man, that's Jesus, reign over us. So what does man, why does man deny Christ as God? Because if we can lower Christ to just simply being a mere man, then we don't have to obey his authority. If Christ is just simply a man and not God, then his authority could be questioned and they will not bow to him. But one of the other things that these false teachers, and I think they believe this in, the, in Jesus's day with the Jews, is that the Bible also speaks about Jesus being equal with the Father. Verse 30, as we read, said, I and my Father are one that statement was hated by the jews because they heard jesus declaring himself to be god they hated it because they couldn't deny it even though they wanted to they could not deny what he was saying because he spoke with such great authority but we also understand that they say we've heard this said before about the word begotten um that word begotten, they have used to suggest, well, he must not be eternal because he's begotten or born of the Father. Well, here's the one thing they fail to understand is that the Father begat the Son in eternal generation. Therefore, the Father cannot in any sense exist before the Son in eternal, genera- in, in eternal generation. In other words, there is no uh, sense of Christ being less than the father I and my father are one not simply not just not in person because we know the father's a distinct person and the son is a distinct person but when Jesus said I and my father are one he was he was telling them that we are one in nature in essence in our perfections and in our power Now, what was Christ speaking about in chapter 10? Because this is key to understanding why Jesus made this statement. He's speaking about the impossibility of plucking any of the sheep out of his hand. And he gives equality to the impossibility of the sheep being plucked out of the father's hand He says it's just as equally impossible for the sheep to be plucked out of my hand. In other words, both of these individuals in their unity of nature, their equality of power, Jesus is declaring that just as it's impossible to pluck one of the sheep out of my father's hands, it's impossible to pluck the sheep out of mine. Why would Jesus say that? Because he's equal with God. He is God, equal with God the Father and the one God with him. There is a a certainty and a surety to what Jesus is saying here. They are both omnipotent. They are both, they have power that is unable uh, to be taken away from them. Jesus very clearly is telling them that he has the same power that the Father has. And this is a declaration of security to us. A young William Hunter, as he was laying down his life to be burned at the stake, as we were reading that account, he very carefully and very clearly said he wasn't afraid. What gives a man the power to not be afraid at that moment? What gives a man the ability to stand in the moment when he knows his very earthly life is going to be taken? Because he has the promises of knowing that even though his earthly life is taken, he has a certainty and a surety of his eternal life that's in Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, that's why we can face difficulties. That's why we can face struggles and trials in our life. And that's why even as we've, we pray for some of these individuals, these families that are going through unthinkable tragedies, moments that one day before life was normal and then the next day it was changed in an instant. And yet there is a certainty To know that if you are in the Father's hand, you are also in the Son's hand. And to be in the Father and the Son's hand means no one can pluck you out. If Jesus Christ is not God, you don't have that surety today. You don't have that certainty. So when we're praying, we are not praying to something that is uncertain. We are not praying to the unknown God like the Apostle Paul said to those at Mars Hill. when He said, you're too superstitious. We know to whom we're praying to. We're praying to a sovereign God who is omnipotent. Jesus Christ, our Savior, right? Jesus is declaring the highest declaration of not only his love, but unlimited power. Nobody could speak like this who wasn't God. The things that Jesus said in his own earthly ministry were things that could only be spoken by he who was God. Not just someone who was speaking about God, but one that was speaking with the authority of God. He who is the son of God. He speaks of the mysteries of the Trinity, the Godhead. He's familiar with the terminology of the only begotten son. But they are one. Again, not in person. They are two distinct persons, but one in their divine nature or being. No one can come between the love of the Father and the Son. And no one can come between the love of the Father and the Son for his sheep, which is you and I that are in Christ today. Now, of course, Jesus tells them, they demanded an answer from him, did they not? Tell us plainly whether you be the Christ or whether you be God. And Jesus said, I already have and you believe not. Brethren, it's not a matter of, is Jesus Christ God? It is to be declared that he is God. And that because he is God, it is an an argument that does not need to be debated, nor does it need to be answered every time the question is asked. Brethren, sometimes the only thing you can do is to dispute, but you also ought to stand on the authority of the word of God and not get drawn into those arguments about things that are so clearly declared. The doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ is not a debatable issue. It's not something that we can ask for men's point of view on. It's not something we can say, well, what do you think about his deity? What do you think about his place in the Godhead? The Bible declares who he is clearly and powerfully, and it settles the matter. Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. He is the second person of the Godhead. He is the Son of God. And as the Apostle Paul told the church at Colossae in chapter 2, verse, verse 9, he said, In him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, brethren, we ought to take comfort this morning and take heart in knowing that when we pray, We are not praying to just an unknown God. We are praying to God the Father through God the Son, right? And God the Spirit, which speaks the groanings and the things which cannot be uttered. So we can pray with confidence this morning about the reality of the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. Amen.